Business podcast. I'm business journalist, broadcaster and podcaster, Mickey Clark. And I'm small business journalist, Liz Barclay, and we're in Bristol, home of Iron Age forts and Roman villas. That'll go down well, Mickey. You that mm. you should recognise those from the past. Where'd you get that from? Wikipedia. <laughs> <laughs> and it's also... And it's also the starting place for early voyages of exploration of the new world. I was there, waving him goodbye. (laughs) I think it's probably better known these days for the aerospace industry, don't you? Yeah, absolutely. And I think there's uh, a lot of tourism. It's one of the most popular UK places for tourism, creative arts, uh, media. So, yes, uh, we've got a lot to talk about on Bristol. Um, We have two guests from Bristol. We'll introduce those shortly. But uh, I think the most depressing unemployment figures uh, that I have seen came out this week, uh, and that was the ones around about how many self-employed people have left self-employment, stopped working for themselves. You know, a drop of 653,000 from this time last year. We're yeah, self-employed. Still, still we're 6 million struggling. people employed overall, you know, on, on furlough. Um, what you've got to ask yourself is, is what the figures don't reveal. You know, are these self-employed people that have packed up because their businesses have gone bust? Are they people who've been told you can't operate, you're in, you know, apply for, for a grant or something? The, the, the figures are masked. I mean, total empl- unemployment now, 5.1%. Well, the Bank of England has already forecast, I don't know, a year ago that it expected unemployment to reach between seven and eight percent at the worst number um and they're still saying this is recently in the last few days that they expect the economy to to start bouncing back soon so i think until this furlough is over we're not really going to get a clear picture i think you know furlough is is discoloring everything if you like It's, it's making everything look very opaque um and to look at the numbers and start wringing your hands and say oh this is a disaster it will be for some, obviously, but I think overall we've got to wait and see what comes out the other side. Well, I think, um, as you said, probably last week or the week before, it's the shuttered high street that we can't see behind at the minute. But that's why the self-employment figures really, really upset me because they've fallen to about four point three seven four million. Yeah, I mean that's uh, a drop of six, more than half a million, six hundred fifty-three thousand. Yeah. So. And back it, it, to, it back is to levels we haven't seen since 2013. But is that because their major clients have had to shut down? If their pubs, their restaurants, their hospitality, mm. they're not going to be trading. So you ain't going to be working either. That's no. that's what we need to know. And that's what these figures don't show us. It's the usual blanket coverage. And of course, the news organisations churn it out and say the ONS have said this. Therefore, it's whoa, you know, Armageddon. But in actual fact, it's probably not. It's whether those self-employed can get grants or get themselves on the furlough scheme which is the real worry for many of them but it's also about whether or not they can get back to rebuilding again will they get new clients will will the uh, existing clients if they start up again come back to them you know will they be able to rebuild their client base once this is all over well we've, we've talked a lot incessantly in recent months about the number of businesses that have changed shape and adapted um, to cope with the problems of COVID-19. Saw one the other day, a cab driver who, who now has a pie and mash shop and delivers the pie and mash in his cab. Um, you know, you've got the, the, the vegetable shop, the farm shop down the road, which has got a delivery service it never had before. The butchers have got one. 
um, they are all adapting to cope with the new conditions. And I see even, um, you know, on Friday, ASDA are now talking about laying off so many 3,000 people to go on the online route. In other words, sell more stuff online. Why they got to lay off 3,000 to employ another 1,500, I'm not sure. But it was recently taken over, but it's seen, you know, the change in the marketplace and it has to adapt. And I think that's where the opportunities lie. I mean, most of the small businesses we get on this, this podcast are really upbeat. You, have you, can you remember one who's come and said, oh, no. No, you know, I have to say, tablets. Mm, you're, absolutely, you're absolutely right. And what we're thinking after Easter is that when we come back from the Easter break, we will start talking to some of those who've started up throughout this because it'd be really interesting to see how they've managed good uh, idea De- yeah uh, Declan Curry our business editor is here and Simon McVicker our director of public affairs policy and communications Declan you were indicating you wanted to come in there but what what do you make of these figures this week well just to say that the, the headline figures tell us a couple of things one is that it's young workers who've been worst affected by the pandemic particularly uh, young workers who were in jobs rather than working for themselves uh, and you know that's the age-old thing of last, last in, first, in out. first out yeah exactly that you, mickey you and i have probably had jobs like that in our dim and distant youth <laughs> uh, as well the um, the the impact of the furlough scheme is becoming clear with every set of figures the downturn that we had in march was the worst in 300 years yet the official unemployment rate is a lot lot lower still than it was in the downturn of the 90s, in the Thatcher recession of the early 1980s, neither of which were as severe as what we've lived through. And the big difference is we have furlough now, we didn't have furlough then. How do you capture data on employment from 300 years ago? Come on. <laughs> I'm sure somebody somewhere wrote it down. Whitehall was in Bolton a day. <laughs> Simon. Yeah, yeah, but I, I think the bad news for the government is that in the, the lockdown in January, uh, 700,000 more people, according to HMRC, have gone on to the furlough scheme. Um, so we're looking at around 5 million now. Uh, and there must be that a lot of these people won't get their jobs back at the end of it. Because if you look at where these... Um, um, people are coming from. They're by and large uh, over half, or maybe from the hospitality, tourist sort of sectors, and um, you know they are the sectors that have been really devastated by this lockdown. So um, I do think there's an awful lot of optimism out there, but there is a large part of the economy that is going to be pretty decimated, and I really do believe that. This budget coming up next week and the whole strategy around recovery is now crucial. I mean, the government has put out their roadmap to reopening the economy and that has been positively received. And I think people now have some certainty of what's going to happen. But on the economic side, we just don't see how they're going to match that with money. And if we look at the furlough scheme, I mean, this has cost to date 54 billion pounds. That is massive. That's more than we're spending on defence in a year. And, um, you know, they've given away 25 billion in loans and things like that. There's going to be payback time. And this is where the government's under real pressure because... But not, but not yet, Simon. I mean, well, Janet Yellen this week well, said, yes, but don't Mickey, take your foot off the accelerator. Just, just look at the front pages of the papers today. There is a big bus stop going on in the Tory party about tax increases. When isn't there? Budget. 
And the thing is, Sunak is a traditionalist. He is looking at trying to start these tax rights now, and he's looking at business tax and corporation tax being the one, because for every one P he puts it up, he gets three billion in revenue. Uh, most people think that's a disaster. Even David Cameron has said it's a disaster, but he's looking at it. But Simon, yesterday you sent your our, our letter from back in business to the Chancellor, yeah. uh, and I think I if I understood it properly it? because I was signing it. Yes, I did. I went through it. I edited. I did he all the typos. Did uh, the Chancellor? <laughs> we don't know. He only uh, got it yesterday. Not yet. <laughs> <laughs> but Simon, you were telling you were telling him in that that he spent a lot of money on the furlough scheme, and yeah. actually. If he doesn't do the right thing by the furlough scheme, yeah. he'll have wasted that money and ultimately right. not bad investment. jobs. I mean, obviously, uh, we, we've asked for the furlough scheme to be extended until we get a proper reopening of the economy. Um, but what are we going to find when the economy reopens? You know, the government cannot, you know, in the long term, keep the furlough scheme going. And uh, I mean, one of the other things we asked was for the government to identify where all the new jobs are going to come from and then to start a massive training and retraining program. And I think that is really, really important. But economically, yes. it, do it doesn't matter how much he raised people's taxes or their pensions. He's not going to pay this back for another 10, 15 years. And politically, it ain't going to be his problem. It's going to be another chancellor's down the line because it's a massive sum. And really, you, you've got to go to sleep and not worry about it because it's just oh, unrealistic. It's a massive Much problem. of it is printed. It's a massive problem for him if in the 2024 there are millions of people unemployed, millions of businesses out of uh, work, and the people are going to vote in the general election. Oh, Janet so, Yellen's got it right. You can't Janet, take your foot off the accelerator. Janet, America has put forward a $9 trillion uh, reflation, you know, and you're worried about 450 billion. Yeah, but I'm saying America has done this, uh, is, is, is trying to do this. Whether it gets through Congress, we don't know. Uh, the UK is not proposing anything along those lines at the moment. Now, yeah. Don't forget, don't forget, you can't bandy, the, you can't compare the figures because we, no, you we've can't. got a, a sixth of the population. Exactly, Declan, you can't really compare. Declan, say, yeah, David, David Cameron had a, an interesting thought on this during the week. There's a sentence I never thought I'd say uh, in my life. Uh, and that was to consider this like a wartime. And he's right. You know, this is uh, such a huge economic retrenchment. The damage that's been caused through one year of the pandemic is much more severe than any single year of the Second World War. And when we came out of the Second World War, we paid that debt off over many decades. And that's what economists are saying to Rishi Sudak. Calm down. Mm -hmm. You've got decades to pay this money back. Yeah. Investors yeah. in the city and our pension funds are desperate for 30-year bonds, 50-year bonds that allow you to raise money now at today's low interest rates and pay it back over a generation, giving them a guaranteed flow of money uh, for to pay for retirees in the future. Declan Curry, calm down. <laughs> <laughs> but actually, actually, Declan is right on this. And he that's, that's he exactly is. what Biden's trying to do in the States. Uh, but, and I hope that our government goes that way. But um, there is a debate going on. The danger is the unexpected. Um, the reason that ah. the likes of George uh, Osborne and David Cameron are nervous about 
high levels of debt is because they inherited what was at the time seen as a big debt coming out of the credit crunch. They put taxes up thinking that the economy was already recovering. And then, bam, in came the European debt crisis, which sent the economy back towards recession uh, and sent the debt ballooning even higher. And they weren't anticipating that. And that's the worry, is what's around the corner that we can't see. George Brown was prudence. George Osborne was Gordon, Gordon Brown was prudence. George Brown was <laughs> yeah. a tipple and have another drink. For the George water. Brown, you're so going back now. I know. <laughs> right, right. Okay, we're moving on. We're going to Bristol. <laughs> what, what, what does all this mean for Bristol? Uh, we've got Vic Terry, who's head of digital systems at Vertical Aerospace, and Victoria Matthews of Bristol Chamber of Commerce. How is Bristol doing? Oh my gosh, it's been a hell of a year, hasn't it? Well, I think Mickey mentioned the ability of businesses to adapt and that entrepreneurial spirit is something that we've seen here in Bristol in abundance. Like we are a strong, culturally diverse, resilient city and we have seen entrepreneurs and small businesses adapting, you know, selling food out of places that they haven't sold food out of, you know, just making things work for them. So in terms of Bristol, we're strong. Our economy is strong. It's one of the best places to live and work in the UK. And we're really, really proud of that. But on the flip side, you have a cohort of businesses that are just decimated. You know, you've got industries here who are really, really struggling to survive. But on the flip side, you've got places like food, distribution, construction. Those sectors are really healthy here in Bristol. So for example, I mean, housing market here, it's just nuts. It's like second to London now, I think, in terms of unaffordability. So people want to live here. People want to be here. But it's trying to make a city work for everybody. And it's trying to support those businesses that have been really struggling. So um, and we're going to talk to Vic about the aerospace business and his business in particular. But what about the aerospace business? Because, uh, it's, well, I don't know anything about aerospace. And I don't suppose it is airplanes <laughs> flying. But yeah, I mean, <laughs> what's, what's happening there? We are the home of Concord here in Bristol, aren't we? You know, we're really proud of our roots here. We love it. And I mean, our thriving economy is fueled by these sort of high growth sectors like aerospace, um, technology, creative industries, film and TV as well. Um, but it's no secret, obviously, the aerospace industry has had a bit of a tough time lately, not least through COVID, but through carbon as well. You know, more and more questions are understandably being asked of these sectors, um, but still we're in a good place to hopefully answer some of those. Vic, answer some of those. How is your business? Well, tell us the story, because you've grown quite rapidly, haven't you? We have indeed. Yeah, thank you for having me on. So the vertical aerospace story, or where to start? Um, we're still a very small company. We've only been going about four years now. Um, it actually started in our founder, Stephen Fitzpatrick's mind, as he was heading into, um, so he founded Ovo Energy, uh, based in the centre of Bristol, so he was heading into work, got stuck in Bristol traffic, um, and just went, there's got to be a better way than this. And literally off the back of that, Vertical Aerospace was born. So he took, uh, formed a, a small team of engineers, uh, some from his Manor F1 team uh, and some other great talent that we have here in Bristol, and said, can we do it? Can we take these, these toy drones, you know, the, the ones that we've all played with, right, um, and crash them into the sofa or into the lamppost or whatever, um, can we take that technology? Is it ready to be scaled up to something that can actually be used? Um, so one of the statistics that always blows my mind is six engineers in one year design 
built, test and flew a full scale, fully electric um, aircraft. That's just, you know, clearly to do that, you've got to cut a lot of corners. You've got to, you've got to be inventive. You've got to use what's off the shelf. Um, you find those areas of physics that you forgot about and came up to bite you when you, when you scaled all the way up. Uh, and from there, we, we just grew really. So the next challenge was, uh, so yes, you can scale up some of these tech and there's some issues that we need to solve, but now let's make an aircraft that's actually useful. Uh, so that's where the Seraph aircraft came in uh, and we demonstrated redundancy with that one. So with aerospace, it's, it's a lot about safety. We don't want things going wrong midair. Well, things will go wrong in midair, but, and we've seen that recently in the news, right? But you can continue say flight landing and everyone walks home. And that's, you know, that's the tireless work that actually goes into aerospace today. Um, so we demonstrated again, a full scale prototype, uh, just over a ton, um, fail a motor, uh, mid-flight and carry on safe flight and landing. So where are we now? Um, we're taking that next step towards actually making this a reality. I think the, when we took Seraph to Canary Wharf, uh, oh wow, with COVID it's longer than a year ago now, isn't it? It must be. Um, the, the overwhelming response was, well, this is you know years and years away. This is the Jetsons, whatever. Um, but actually you're gonna start seeing commercial services um, globally in the 2024, 2025 timeframe. That's really is close. It, is it the same problem for, for the aerospace industry as it is with the car industry, that when it comes to electric power, it, it, everything depends on the battery and the oh, batteries yeah. aren't really fit for purpose at the moment in that they don't do what they're required to do by the public? Batteries is one of our big technology um, problem areas. If, if batteries were where we needed them to be, then we'd all be driving around in electric cars right now. So yeah, there's huge challenges there, but then in that creates a lot of opportunities. In that, there's room for the innovation. Uh, you see that coming out of the, the Teslas of this world. You know, they're really pushing things forward and giving the big boys a, a run for their money. Well, everyone's so, yeah. excited about Tesla, but I'd be more excited about the company that develops the battery that goes in the Tesla that is going to give you three to 400 miles um, and drop the cost of the car because, you know, at the moment, everything is about price. Are, are, your, are your vertical aircraft expensive to buy? So think of it more like an air taxi rather than a flying car. Um, we'd all love this whole Jetsons future where we, we jump in our flying car and hop over to our friend's house. Um, it's going to be, you're not going to own these things. And actually, if you look at the car industry, they're heading down that route anyway of why should people own it? You only need it when you need it. So just pay for it and it'll automatically turn up at your door and take you to the pub or whatever. Um, you're not going to have a, an aircraft landing in the street, obviously. Uh, it's going to be more like a, a shuttle, a taxi service, these first ones. Um, I know you've got them behind you, through that window behind yes. you. But of course, they're a bit too small for us to see on Zoom. And you are sending us pictures. And uh, Ben, on uh, the editor on the team, is going to make sure that we get the pictures as well, which is absolutely fascinating. I just want to know when I can have one. <laughs> <laughs> when, when can I book one? But um, you talked about... Um, the tech the drone technology and scaling that up and six engineers in one year uh, came up with these prototypes did you where did you find the skills 
Was it easy to find the skills that you needed? Uh, they all say I'm completely obsessed about skills, <laughs> but what can you do without them? Yes, that's a fantastic question. So in, in Bristol, we're really lucky to be one of the very few aerospace hubs in the world. Um, I forget the statistics, but you know, you've got the big players like Rolls-Royce and Airbus um, just up the road uh, in North Bristol. And then you've got what, 250 odd companies, small companies, part suppliers, um, all the things that make these big machines work right on our doorstep. And then you've got Yeovil down the road where we've got uh, Leonardo helicopters. So we're actually prime place in the UK and in Bristol in particular um, to make use of that. Uh, in terms of the skills, you know, clearly we're small, exciting companies, so we can attract some, some of the, that talent from the existing base. Um, I mentioned F1 earlier. So we've tried very purposefully not to create just a, a company full of um, existing aerospace people. We've tried to, we've pulled in people from Jaguar Land Rover. Um, before I joined here, I was at Dyson. We've had a few people from the, the Dyson car project, for example, come over. Um, so we've got this real melting pot of skills and ideas. So in the beginning, actually, it was, you know, you're after a few people here and there, and we're now at what, about 120, 140 people. Um, but as we start to grow, then actually we'd, well, I'd, I'm now struggling to find and pull on that, those local resources. And we're up to the best of the best. You know, uh, we're a small company. Every single head, uh, every single person counts. So actually, we now need to start looking abroad for the best in the world. It's not just the best in the UK. You know, we, we're pulling that already. We actually need the best in the world to keep up with our growth. So some of the barriers that have come up there have made things tricky. Obviously, COVID being one. Um, legal and politics situations being others. Um, but yeah, if anyone's listening, I'd, I'd really <laughs> appreciate some help in lifting some of that. Um, well, uh, hopefully somebody's listening. <laughs> yeah. And this is a point that we hear over and over again uh, from small businesses when we talk to them around the, the country, that importance of having those clusters. We heard it in Cambridge uh, where we were speaking to them about the uh, sort of the, the cluster of Medical, advanced medical and technology businesses all feeding off each other in Bristol. You know, Victoria mentioned the legacy of Concord, and this is one of them, that you've got British Aerospace and lots of other aerospace aeronautics engineering companies all clustered around that same area uh, as, as well. And Victoria, I'm assuming that that's, you know, that's hugely uh, important in Vic's industry and other industries as well, yeah. that you build up those strengths that can live on from company to company, from generation to generation. A hundred percent. So prior to COVID, we actually had quite a bad skills shortage here in the West of England. We had, you know, amazing people who were, you know, these jobs just could not attract them. You know, they, they had so many opportunities and so many different avenues that they could go down. But obviously, post-COVID, with the rise in unemployment figures, it's going to be really, really interesting to see what happens. So we're really fortunate here in the West of England. So we've got, you know, fantastic unis. So we have over 10,000 graduates a year just in Bristol alone. So that's a huge pool of talent for all of these startups. And, you know, outside of London, Bristol has been voted the best place to be a startup in the UK. So they know that they have the resource here. They know they have the talent. People want to live here. They want to work here. They want to invest here. Um, but, you know, it's something that we are really aware of, that we need to continue speaking to these businesses. You know, what do you need from the next generation? What does the next generation need from you? You know, it's working with those sort of skills providers, with the universities, with the colleges, with the primary schools, to show them that, you know, the world of work is changing. 
I mean, just look at green jobs, for example. When I was in school, you know, climate change wasn't even really a thing. You know, green jobs weren't a thing. Whereas now you have these new startups, these new companies that are paying you know really what? well. That is, that is one of the, the big things that really shocked me, actually, when I started, um, when we started growing and hiring people, um, lots of people coming through, interviewing and all that is, you know, why, why do you want to join Vertical Aerospace? The, the first question, uh, the first answer is because it's cool. You know, yeah. we, we want to make the future. The second question, or the second answer, um, and it was irrespective of age as well, which really, uh, really shocked me, was I want to make a difference. Yeah, I want sure. to help decarbonize. Yeah, yeah. And this is what we're finding. You know, these companies where you're trying to attract the talent, you have to have a decent offering now for these younger people. You know, gone are the days where you have a job for life, where you're in a career for 20, 30 years and you work your way up through a company. People are looking for opportunities. People are remote working. People want to know, why should I work for your company? What are you doing for the economy? What are you doing for the local community? And this is what we found in COVID is that, you know, so many businesses, it's as much as it's awful, it's really good PR for these people that have adapted and they've been making ventilators. For example, um, you know, Rolls-Royce. They adapted and they started making ventilators for the UK and for the NHS. And, you know, people want to see their company giving back. Why should I work for you? Why should I invest in this region? And I think that's a very important way to be able to draw talent in. But is this having a knock-on effect in the thinking of other businesses outside this sector in the Bristol area, do you think, Victoria? I think so. And you'd like to think so, wouldn't you? God, I mean, you know, what we run at Business West and the Chambers of Commerce is we're essentially a leadership group. So we bring together sort of business leaders and school leaders and community leaders to talk to each other. You know, we're a convener of people to actually say, what do you need for your business? What does the local economy need? What do you want to see the future look like? I mean, we've seen the adverse effect of what COVID is going to have on young people, but we've also seen other groups that are going to be affected as well. So, for example, women. I saw a study the other day, I think, I forget where it was from, but it was like women's rights and women's sort of progression in the workplace has been set back about 25 years in the last year alone because of COVID. It's just nuts. And if we don't, you know, challenge these problems and try and think of a recovery solution now, we are going to be in a world of pain in the next few years and it will be future generations that will sort of, yeah, have the impact of this. Are the companies doing enough, Victoria? Because... I know we've talked about the big companies down there. With Air, Airbus, it's it's Filton, isn't it? Is yes. the big plant? Yes. Yeah. And and there was a lot of talk um, around the time of Brexit that, oh, once you've left us, the European Union, you won't. We're going to take all the work and go elsewhere. And of course, that proved ridiculous because they need the expertise and they can't just start up. You know, a mm. plant to make wings for for the latest Airbus any, anywhere they want. Mm. But the other thing is, you, you've talked about. Um, you know, getting the right talent and keeping it. Are companies investing enough in the youngsters, in giving them apprenticeships and training that they deserve? Because I'm afraid my my sort of history is that British companies are very reluctant to invest long term in staff mm. um, because they see them as a commodity rather than an asset. And you often find that they will take the shortcut. Um, in the belief that it will save them money. And of course, it never does in the long run. They need there's to train some, for skilled staff. There's some quite sweeping statements in that. You know, yeah, yeah, I'll go along with that. Yeah, that's what I'm here for. <laughs> He's known for that. Yeah. 
No, it's a so good point. I, I'm sure there's pockets of that, but yeah. you know, there's there's pockets where people are really excelling. You know, yeah. No, I'm, I'm not saying that. Without awesome what people I'm, that what I'm saying in, is, right? is there is evidence. Um, the car industry, for instance, is a classic example. Two years ago, if you'd gone to a car maker and said, I want an electric car, he'd have laughed at you. But because legislation has been brought in, they've had their feet held to the fire. They are now all rushing to produce an electric or hydrogen car. You know, things change, things happen, and you have to invest for the long term. Mm. And my experience has been, and this isn't just my experience, it's, it's, it's you talk to the CBI or the IOD, and they will tell you that British companies in the past historically have been very poor at investing in their their employees. In fact, very poor at investing full stop. I mean, it's a really good point. I think what we're finding, so for example, with like the skills for the future workforce, you know, the new kickstart scheme, we are seeing the government now taking a bit more of an interest in this in recognising that young people are going to be really impacted by COVID. So hopefully a lot of companies, there are more incentives, but I think a lot of it comes down to like leadership and culture ultimately, doesn't it, in organisations? You know, if you have leadership that's been there for 10, 20 years, it's stoic, it's archaic, you know, you need these fresher perspectives, you need board diversity, you need these people coming into these companies, these younger people with fresh ideas, you know, they know what the future generation wants. You know, there are things that I want that, you know, I'm going to be real, there are people in my company that would never have thought of, and there'll be younger people than me who will say, well, I don't want that. I'm going to want this in the future. And it's, you know, having that business resilience and that forward thinking, COVID has just been a nightmare. And most companies are just struggling to survive, which we totally get. Like, you know, cash flow, I want to pay my staff. I want to keep orders coming in. And that's absolutely reasonable. But now we are finding most people are looking a bit further ahead. They are looking forward to the next stage of recovery. They are looking longer term. So, yeah, I'm big on investing in young people. It's something I bring up in much every meeting people get a bit bored of me but you've got to do it you know people need it Victoria we wouldn't manage without the guys here uh who are doing the operation behind the scenes uh you know Ollie's Ollie's booking all the guests George is doing all the social media Ben is doing the background uh recording and the editing the whole thing would collapse without them so we're absolutely sold uh, on all of that can you just tell me though you know if you look at the the Bristol airport expansion planning argument uh you know you've got a you've got a city that's really forward looking here it's building um vertical takeoff taxis that uh, are going to take people down the pub in, in a very very short space of time and you've got the traditional airport side of things where uh we are still thinking that we're going to see more and more international travel out of Bristol and more and more passengers. How, how do those two arguments sit? It's really controversial, isn't it? The expansion here in Bristol. Um, so, yes, we are really, really hopeful, obviously, as every place in the UK, that Bristol continues to be successful and innovative and creative and recover really strongly. And with that, obviously, June the 21st, hopefully, fingers crossed, maybe things reopen. We are expecting an increase in sort of foreign travel, people going on holidays, both domestically and internationally as well. Um, the airport expansion is actually coming up in the next few months. So I think they're appealing it. So that'd be really, really interesting to see what the decision is on that. 
Um, but in terms of businesses, a lot of them obviously do want the expansion for obvious reasons. They want to see, you know, supply chains being able to move about freely. They want to attract staff. They want you know, people to have a good quality of life ultimately. Um, but on the flip side, understandably, you have the huge issue of climate change and carbon offsetting and it all comes down to the aerospace industry ultimately, doesn't it? You know, can we produce these planes that are going to be environmentally friendly or offset it? And it's just such a big picture at the moment, such a big issue, particularly here in the West of England, that, yeah, I think it's going to rumble along for a while. Vic, you've got the answer. Please. (laughs) Can you tell us? (laughs) So the aerospace industry is all about placing really big long-term bets that take a while to get through and actually make a difference. So um, actually, when we look at the the Airbuses and the Boeings of this world, that's a really hard problem to solve Mm -hmm. with electrification. Uh, I mean, this is difficult enough with smaller, moving uh, small amounts of people around, but it's a great start. Um, I know there's there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of excitement, there's a lot of activity going on. Um, to uh, I think what was it? What was it just recently about having greener fuels that when they burn they don't produce as much carbon, if any. Um, and then you've got hydrogen coming up. Well, that's a really interesting, fascinating technology to put on a put on an aircraft to carry hundreds of people Um, at the Um, minute. Well, Mickey spoke earlier about batteries being a challenge. Um, mm. And the thing with aircraft is it's all about weight. The more weight you have, then the more you've got to keep up in the sky. You've got to fight gravity the whole time and you've got to spend energy doing that. Um, And the more batteries you put in, then then the more energy you've got to spend to keep that battery in the air. Uh, Um, Vic, it's it's all very well us talking about expanding airports when no one's flying because of COVID. What's the impact on your company in particular when it comes to COVID? Are you finding that the investment, you know, that long-term gamble, is that putting people off or are you adapting and coping with it? it look in the news is all I'm going to say. <laughs> yeah, the eVTOL industry is really booming at the moment. Um, people are really excited. Again, it goes back to that. We want to make a difference. We want to invest in decarbonisation. So um, there's a lot of excitement around our industry at the moment. Vertical industry is a uh, vertical aerospace as a uh, as a company within that industry. Um, how have we coped with COVID? Um, so we were we were expanding, we were hiring right until the point that everything went into lockdown. We then had to put a, a pause on that just because the whole world was really uncertain. But we're a startup. We're not making we're not selling vehicles at the minute. We're in that really weird funding situation where we haven't got to worry about. Is someone going to buy it? Because there wasn't anyone buying it last week. So why do we want? Why are we worried now? Um, funding. We've been you've been really really lucky with having Stephen Fitzpatrick as a founder. Um, so we, we can carry on, and we've just started hiring again. Um, as I said, things are looking really up. How has our business coped with um, COVID and going going online? Um, we're a bit fortunate that we haven't got. The massive baggage of you know, an Airbus or a Boeing or a Rolls-Royce that have got all these legacy systems and working practices. Um, our C- CIO, when she came in, she went cloud first for all our systems. So two days of lockdown being announced, the entire workforce was backup speed and running at home. Just everything shifted over. And that's, the, and that's the value amazing. that small business brings to the supply chain of yeah. bigger companies it's that speed with which you can adapt and be nimble yeah yeah absolutely um 
And, you know, there's, there's a lot of things that make it difficult working from home. You know, everyone's found that in whatever industry you're in. Um, engineering, it's about, you know, being in, being in front of a whiteboard, having arguments, drawing things, scratching things out, breaking things, um, which is really tricky to do online. Uh, but actually, things that have come out is we have a, um, so we have a series of design reviews. So we get you know, some, some senior grown-ups, some gray beards who've been there, done that, to sit and listen to the teams present and say, here's my, here's my parts and here's my program and here's all the risks and all of that. And they say, okay, well, do we understand those risks and is this going to work? Normally, uh, that would be in a closed room uh, and there'll be those five people sitting there and people will come in. But now, I don't have a panel of five no. because everybody in the company is listening in to the... The, the virtual call. I've now got a panel of 140. And actually, it was, it was amazing to see because the chat window was just like for three days solid. And all these other risks were coming up. All these other things were being exposed. All these actions were coming out. By the end of the day, half of them had been closed. We'd already solved all those problems. We were on to the next ones. So, you know, yes, it does make things hard going remote, but actually we, we find these other ways. Uh, to, to actually make a success of it. Um, um, I, was, I was smiling. I was smiling because I was just thinking about partners saying, why is that bit of that flying aircraft sitting in the middle of the living room taking <laughs> the floor? Maybe not that type <laughs> but, of working from home. <laughs> maybe not. So, but, but the point you're making, I think, answers a question that I wanted to ask you. You know, we've talked about COVID accelerating absolutely everything and accelerating homeworking and digital and heaven only knows what. So, but what you're really saying is it's, it's accelerated a lot of your development thinking too. Yeah, uh, you know, clearly we've got to make stuff at the end of the day. We've got to get some equipment on the bench and we've got to break it and we've got to make it hot and then go, oh, well, did that work or whatever, which is why the office is still open. Uh, we restrict it down to the people who really desperately need to get on site and work with the physical equipment. So we are able to strike that balance. But like I said, it, it it does make things tricky here and there, but I, I can certainly say the world of business won't be the same again after this. Mm. Um, and other things um, as well, we we can't make an entire aircraft by ourselves. We rely on our partners, so and they're all online, and they're all we're all now finding this way to actually. It's now starting to be more similar working with the person who'd be sitting next to you, as it is working with your partners, um, providing you components who are in the states or the other side of the country. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, of course, Vic, you're not the first uh, uh, creators of vertical takeoff in no. Bristol or elsewhere, because Bristol is famous uh, worldwide for its hot air balloons. Uh, I knew we'd get that question uh, in. Yeah, I was, going to, I was definitely <laughs> that it. question. Uh, I'm not a balloonist, I'm afraid. <gasps> oh, oh, oh how could sorry. you not be? I love the festivals. Uh, I love going to it, but uh, I've never been up on one. I really oh, love they're it. wonderful. Oh, oh, it's wonderful. It's the best day of my life. That was yeah, and, it, and it's so cut. You know, Victoria, back me up here. It oh is, it is Brad Bristol. It's unreal. It is unreal. I mean, oh, we are so fortunate. I mean, obviously, we have like the international balloon fiesta here usually in August. I mean, I haven't heard anything, but I'm hopeful that might go well, ahead. Fingers crossed. Now, I mean, well, they are self isolating. I mean, hello. I mean, just things like that in terms yeah. of... Like, That's proper social distancing, that. Right. Well, you, you can borrow Declan if it's not. He's full of hot air. 
<laughs> if, you need a, if you need a bit of ballast. <laughs> no, it's great. I mean, it's one of the things Bristol's famed for, but I mean, I think one of the criticisms a bit yeah. sometimes of people within Bristol is that, you know, Bristol's more than just balloons. You know, we have these pockets of rich, diverse cultures and communities as well. And, you know, you have pockets of the city, not just Clifton or the posh bits that are, have got so much culture and they are amazing. So mm. we're really, really hopeful, yeah, that the balloon fiesta goes ahead because but, we've got a really strong visitor economy here as well. And people love coming here. People love seeing stuff. It's famous for different bits. So hopefully, hopefully we can start to recover in that way as well. And this is an important thing we've talked about with our guests from other cities across the uh, country as well, is what is the brand? You know, we had that interesting discussion when we talked with uh, our friends in Leeds about what was brand Leeds, what really makes Leeds distinctive versus brand Yorkshire. And, I, you know, Liz, coming out of that discussion, I wasn't entirely sure that Leeds had a clear enough identity, whereas Bristol really does. Mm. Yeah, and no, we're really, really proud of it. Important. Yeah, it is. It's really important for attracting investment, attracting these companies from abroad who want to come here, set up an office here. But I mean, we're, we're a really proud city. You know, we're a very historical city with a pretty torrid past in terms of, you know, slave trade, things like that. And it's something that people are very open about and they're very respectful of and very willing to sort of change and talk about, which is important. So we're really proud of who we are. We're proud of being strong and resilient. And, you know, we're very community based here in Bristol. What we've seen in the pandemic is we have a really strong community. You know, Bristol's not very big, really. If you look at it on the map, it's quite a small, big city, if that makes sense. People know each other and people want to help each other here. And it's something we're really, really proud of. Um, I want to ask you both, uh, before we wind up, what you'd like to see uh, in the budget, you know, what would help Bristol, I think, in the budget. But Victoria, um, I know that there are two universities in Bristol and there's a pioneering cluster of 5G businesses, I think, uh, about to be set up. Um, how fundamentally important are the universities to what has happened in Bristol? It honestly just cannot be overstated how pivotal these universities are here. Um, you know, the research, the the resources these have and the talent they produce is just unmatched. But I mean, we have colleges as well. We have fantastic school system here and we have, you know, apprenticeships as well. Universities are amazing, but they're not everything. There are other routes to work as well through, you know, tangible apprenticeships and through any sort of industry. So Bristol's really, really good at adapting, looking at different ways to get into work. And we've got a really good, you know, community of business leaders who are really happy to go into schools, talk to people about what they want to do. So there are different routes to work, but in terms of the universities, they are phenomenal here, and we're really proud of that. Um, I, I have to say, you're doing a really good selling job, and if house prices hadn't gone through the roof, it's so stressful. <laughs> it's so stressful. That's they the probably, only thing. They probably are even oh. higher by tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> I know. Sorry. Given the billing, given the billing, you given Bristol. I'm not on commission. You... I swear. <laughs> Worse luck. What would you, you know. what would you like to see in the budget? What what do you think Bristol needs the Chancellor to do to put the icing on that particular Bristol cake? 
So we have quite a lot of devolved power here in Bristol. So we've got the West of England Combined Authority, which you know has grants, for example, for COVID businesses. So we're very lucky to have things like that. But you know, something that we've been lobbying for is support for the excluded UK amount. So all of the freelancers and self-employed people that have been excluded from day one. And it's I can't even imagine how horrendous that must be. So we're really, really hopeful that perhaps, you know, the Chancellor will be looking to extend these support schemes to groups that have been excluded previously. So we think that would be really, really helpful. And I think we've said that in our letter to the Chancellor that Simon sent off yesterday. Um, Vic, uh, what about you, uh, particularly, I suppose, looking at the development of your sector? Uh, what are you saying to Rishi? What do you want from the, the oh, red box? I, I'm actually going to say that I think uh, Innovate UK and, and all the... Um, all the incentives for startups and, and business. I, I think the guys are doing a really good job there. So I'm, I'm not going to push that too hard. What, I'm, what I am going to say is have a look at James Dyson. What did he do? He said, I haven't got a talent pipeline, so I'm going to go away and I'm going to make my own. So my, uh, my challenge back is actually I need that talent pipeline. I need those amazing superstars of the future to, to employ so that we can actually make things like this. Because it's without those minds, we can't do it. Well, um, we've got three here. Uh, I'd be very, very unhappy if you nicked them. Send the CVs over. But, <laughs> but you can certainly pay them more yeah. than we can. <laughs> well, so, so. except except I would be a wee bit worried if uh, people in uh, broadcasting are going to be making airplanes. Oh no 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 no! There's all sorts. Oh, there's all sorts of all sorts of jobs that people in uh, in the creative industries. Uh, can do in the aerospace sector, believe you me. <laughs> Hot air is important to both. Yeah. <laughs> well, Declan, you and I should get a job there. <laughs> get a job anyway. Oh, dear. Well, honestly, I have to say, Vic and Victoria, it's been absolutely fascinating. Thank you ever yeah, so much. Yeah. I'm so pleased that uh, you joined us. Um, we will, welcome. of course, We will, of course, all be watching the budget. This podcast uh, goes up. Uh, on our site on Monday. The the budget is on uh, Wednesday. Wednesday, Simon. Yes, and we're having a live broadcast or uh, at 6 o'clock on the evening of uh, Wednesday with our sort of reaction to the budget. So yes, Victoria, I, was, I was going to mention that. I was going to say yeah. that you and Declan will be arguing yeah, for yeah, 20 yeah. minutes. So, Victoria, <laughs> if you'd like to send me your thoughts, yeah. I'll give you my email address. And uh, we will reflect what you're saying in Bristol. Um, but yes, Wednesday evening. You know, I've got this feeling that <laughs> we're not going to have that much to say because mm -hmm. Richie Sunak's history is to kick things down the road. And there is some hints that he might do it again. Mickey, the thought of these two not having much to say. <laughs> oh, I'll believe it when I see it or hear it. <laughs> I wouldn't bet the house on it. <laughs> is there anything is there anything else going to happen this week at all or are we just simply there's, there's, going to be budget 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 wall to wall well there's there, there, there's a uh, I, it's very hard to tell what's going on with the treasury at the minute because you know the days when if what was in the budget was leaked in advance would force the resignation yes. of the chancellor as it did with Hugh Dalton back in 47 that's long gone you know Gordon Brown perfected that knack of getting five days of good headlines before he even stood up I gave the budget and still had some sort of grotty rabbit in the hat that he could uh, pull out of it. But Simon, I don't know if you agree with this. 
the amount of briefing that's going on this week with all the different little ideas of what might or might not be in the budget in the papers this week is extraordinary. There's dozens of ideas floating out there. And I don't understand it because it's too late in the day for this to be kite flying, for this to be testing ideas. So what's he up to? I think there is some kite flying, definitely. I mean, I think the the debate... But just next week. Yeah, but I mean, you know, the Chancellor can put it into a budget at the last moment if he wants. Uh, but I think there is a bit of this today, uh, like he's talking about rating the pensions again. Uh, and that's he another kind of anything at the moment. He hasn't got the scope. He's got well, a wait and see we get out the other end. Well, then why bring it up now? You see, he's he's testing the waters. Or uh, softening so, people well, up. Well, that's different or, to actually or, imposing or, it. Or softening people up. Uh, I, I, I think uh, we won't see that much on Wednesday, to be honest. And by the way, can I just say for all those people worried about IR35, a lot of the accountancy websites are saying there will be nothing in the budget about that. That will happen on the 6th of April at the beginning of the new financial year, that's when it will be announced. HMRC have said the reforms will come in. Um, so it may not be until the day we know for sure, but uh, I don't Don't, think don't hold your breath. I've I been waiting three years for my tax status yeah. on IR35. I'm still I, waiting. I believe they, they will probably go ahead with the uh, changes to IR35. Well, uh, as you can tell, there's still plenty to talk about. <laughs> and we will be interrupting our Round the UK tour next week to dissect the budget. What does it really mean for small business and self-employed people? Uh, have they been listening to what we've been saying for the past year? We will, as Simon has said, be podcasting on Wednesday evening. Simon and Declan will be offering their initial thoughts on the announcements <laughs> falling out. In That's the two minutes gone. <laughs> And then the regular podcast will go a bit deeper into the detail where the devil will be found lurking if there is uh, any detail. So please do uh, join us on Wednesday. Join us uh, next week for the normal podcast on Monday. Catch up on all our conversations, all our interviews uh, and our podcasts on the website backinbusiness.org.uk. If you want to take part or comment, then please, we'd absolutely love to hear from you. Tell us your experiences. Email us at... Contact us at backinbusiness.org.uk. Find us on LinkedIn. Find us on Twitter at business underscore backin. Thank you absolutely, everybody. Vic, Victoria, of course, Declan and Simon, Mickey, thank you for being with me every week. uh, What would I do without you? Uh, Ollie, George and Ben, thank you for making it all happen. And we will see you next week. Bye.